You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, we're going to continue uh, with our series in Colossians where we're learning about how to have a higher view of Jesus for a new perspective on life. And this past week as a church family, we read through chapter one of Colossians together. This week I wanna encourage you to read through chapter two of Colossians so you can go deeper with your understanding of this book throughout the week. In ninth grade, I had a biology teacher who had a significant impact in my life. He was one of those no-nonsense teachers, if you know what I'm talking about. He really cared about his students, though, and he cared that we were succeeding in his class. Uh, He uh, loved biology. He planned some exciting assignments and experiments for us, and I loved it. You might have had a similar experience, maybe with a teacher, or maybe it was a coach, or a parent. Uh, Maybe it was an older brother or sister, uh, youth leader, pastor, somebody that had a significant impact in your life, somebody that helped you to think about the world differently, Uh, somebody that helped you to see what was possible, somebody that believed in you and who had a bigger vision for your life than you did. Well, that's what Paul wants to do with the Colossian believers. He wanted to have an impact in their lives, not just an impact, but an eternal impact, okay? Last week, Pastor Jeremy, our lead pastor, he preached about how uh, Paul uh, reminds the Colossians and us who Jesus truly is and the impact that he has in our lives. This week, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at Paul's ministry, his life, his attitude, his heart, his goals, and we're gonna see how we can have an eternal impact in the lives of others. Now, when we talk about this word ministry, we have to talk about a problem with this word uh, in the way that we understand it in the English language. And the problem is that when I say the word ministry, or when someone says the phrase, I'm in ministry, don't we think about somebody who's on staff at a church, right? We think of somebody, maybe a pastor, a missionary, somebody like that who's in a like, full-time ministry capacity, professional capacity. And, uh, but the problem is that the Bible, the Bible doesn't define it like this. Uh, The Bible uses ministry to describe a concept that everyone is in. In other words, if you have a pulse and you're following Jesus, you are in full-time ministry. Did you know that? You know, I went into full-time ministry as soon as I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I was just as much in ministry when I was a Christian college student as I am today. I was just as much in ministry when I did my summer job putting away uh, truck parts at the Nissan truck warehouse uh, when I was a teenager as I am today here with you. Ministry is simply this. Ministry is a lifestyle of service, not a job. Ministry is a lifestyle of service not a job. And if you're a Christian, you have a ministry. If you've decided to follow Jesus, you are called to ministry. The only question is where you serve him, okay? The only question is where you serve him. Is it behind the scenes or is it an upfront role? Is it a small platform or is it a large platform? 
but everyone is called into ministry. Now, as we go through this next passage in Colossians today, some of us are going to look at Paul's ministry and say, you know, he's an apostle. It, it, that's not me. It doesn't apply to me. Friends, if you follow Jesus, you have the same power of God in work, at work in you and through you, just as Paul did. Do you believe that this morning? If you, have any, if you have anyone that you're trying to impact eternally in your life, you have a ministry. That's your ministry. Though the principles today that we're going to look at from Paul's life, we're going we're to look at them from Paul's life. Paul, who was an apostle, who was a church planter, who also had a uh, professional ministry role, they also apply to us. Whether you have children you're trying to impact, a spouse you're trying to impact, neighborhood, work situation, small church, large church, nonprofit, the only thing different is the platform with which you're doing the ministry. But the principles for having an eternal impact are the same. Now, I want us to look at a couple of verses from Ephesians before we jump back into Colossians. Uh, we're looking at Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. If you have your electronic devices, go ahead and bring that up on your device. Um, or you can just look at the words on the screen behind me. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Does it say that these people have to do all of the ministry? No. It says they are to equip God's people for works of service. Uh, just think about it on a practical level. What if Pastor Jeremy, our lead pastor, had to prepare his sermon throughout the week, he had to pastor people throughout the week, and then on Sundays he comes, he has to start up all of the different ministries that take place here. He has to make sure that all of the different ministry roles that happen are, are done, and then he also has to preach the messages, right? It's just not possible. It just wouldn't work. And so I gotta tell you, I am really thankful that the dream team uh, is here at Redemption. I gotta tell you, because the only reason that the lights turn on, that we can hear the band play through the speaker system, that the words go on the screen behind me during the sermon, the fact that you have warm coffee and a, uh, a, a warm greeting at the door when you come in is because of team members on our dream team every Sunday who don't think it's someone else's ministry. They are called to a lifestyle of ministry, and they have discovered their fit here at this church. So let's hear it for the dream team, right? I, I mean, they are doing a lot. They are sacrificing a lot. We love you. We're so thankful for you. Uh, so the truth of the matter is that you have a ministry. Have you discovered yours? In fact, tonight we're offering our growth track at 6.30 p.m. online. You can sign up for that. Uh, just go to our website right after the service, and you can take the opportunity to discover your fit, to discover your place right here at Redemption. So what is your ministry? Now, let's go back to Colossians and see what Paul says about his ministry. Um, Colossians is just after Philippians in your Bible. So, you know, one of the ways that I remember where the, past, the pastoral epistles are in, in order, how, how they're ordered, is I have this little acronym. It's, it's a G-E-P-C, and I remember it like General Electric Power Company. Okay, it really helps me to know where to find these pastoral epistles, what order they're in. And so uh, Colossians comes right after 
uh, Philippians, right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So we're going to pick it up, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 29. It says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously, I strenuously contend with all of the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So let's start off with verse 24. It says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Now this might seem a little weird. Paul isn't saying that it's all great. He, he's not saying that everything is fine. He's saying I'm suffering and I'm rejoicing. It all has to do with the reason for his suffering. He's suffering for the Colossian believers. He's, rejo he's rejoicing that he's doing it for them. They are the reason. And you might think people that are rejoicing in suffering are a little weird, but imagine a parent, a mom or a dad, who suffers because they're trying to secure a better future for their children. We knew a family when we lived in Montreal from Colombia, uh, Francisco and Sandra, and they lived actually uh, right across the street um, and in Colombia, uh, Francisco was an engineer. Sandra was a nutritionist for professional tennis players. They, uh, had, uh, they earned good money, they had lots of education, and they had good jobs. But they sacrificed all of that to bring their kids to Canada because the country was getting more dangerous, crime was on the rise, uh, educational opportunities and job opportunities were less and less, and so they decided to come to Canada. They moved into a house that was subsidized by the government. It was okay, but it was something that they could afford. They moved in, and you know what the first job that Sandra got was? She started working at the dollar store. Francisco didn't get a job at all in the beginning, but then he eventually found a part-time job fixing point-of-sale machines. You know those machines that you put your credit card in or swipe your phone over when you're checking out of a store? I'm sure that a lot of you know people like Francisco and Sandra that have suffered to give their children a better life. And one of the things that happened with, the, with Francisco and, and Sandra is that they chose to suffer and they were glad to do it because of the better life that they were creating for their children. And so that is what Paul is feeling right now as the spiritual father for the Colossians. And you know, Paul is writing this letter from jail. He doesn't know when he's gonna get out. He was put there for sharing the good news about Jesus. And you know, Paul is no stranger to suffering, right? He's been beaten. They ripped the flesh off his back through flogging. He's been in and out of jail, not for doing the wrong thing, but for doing the right thing. Family and friends would have abandoned him because of his commitments. There's a mob that follows him from town to town, starting riots every time that he starts preaching. He's a man who was shipwrecked at sea and who swam for his life. He's been homeless. He slept out in the cold. He's been absolutely exhausted and tired, and now he finds himself in jail. And since he has a little free time, 
he decides to write a letter to a newer church, like our church, in this city of Colossae. Now, Paul continues and says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard, in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I want you to see a couple things here. First, what in the world is Paul talking about here? I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Uh, you know, Jesus paid it all, didn't he? Uh, his final words at the cross were, it is finished. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the things that they would stamp on your invoice in that time period was, it is finished. It was paid in full. Jesus paid 100% on the cross of the cost of our sin. But was everything done with the spiritual battle at that point? No. Are any of you living in heaven right now? No. We are still in a, living in a fallen world, a world that is under the influence of sin and darkness. And though the spiritual issue of sin has been completely paid in full, the battle isn't all over, even though the war has been won. And so what he's talking about when he says filling up what is lacking, he's talking about a spiritual mop-up operation. Think back to your history class, if you remember anything from it, uh, about the end of World War II. What happened? The Allies landed in Normandy, and as soon as the Allies landed, the war was essentially over, right? Hitler and Nazi Germany were doomed. But in their march to Berlin, there were still battles to be fought, right? Uh, there were people who died, right? Um, the war was essentially over. The enemy was essentially defeated, but there was a mop-up operation that had to take place that was going on throughout that time. There were real casualties, and we, as Christians, we are in that time period where our eternity is secure and established if you're a follower of Jesus, right? But there is a tough road along the way. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you understand that we are in a spiritual mop-up operation. Parents of older kids, how many times are you on your knees praying for those children that have turned away from Jesus and are following their own path? Teenagers and young adults, how many times have you faced temptations from the pressures that the people around you place on you? Couples, how many times do you need to apologize for saying that thing that you've said a million times to your spouse? God has secured the victory over Satan's sin and death, but the battles with sin and Satan's influence are daily. Now, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 to 27, it says, I have become a servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but it is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul is describing the ministry, the mystery, excuse me, that angels could have never imagined. He's describing the mystery that Jewish scholars would have never seen. And what is this mystery? What is this mystery that Moses, that King David, that Rahab, that Elijah, and all the other great men and women of faith in the Old Testament could have never imagined? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. His Holy Spirit living inside of you. The very presence of God inside of you. 
Now with this background, let's, let's unpack some things that Paul talks about in his ministry. And I want us to see today how these things apply to us and try help us to have an impact in the lives of others. Maybe it's our children's lives. Maybe it's our significant other's life, a life group church setting, neighborhood, or community. And so we're going to see five things that are important. If you're going to have an eternal impact in the lives of people that God has assigned to you in your ministry, first, we need to have the right attitude. First, we need to have the right attitude. It comes from these two verses that we've already read in verse uh, 24. Uh, Let's, verses 24 and 25, it says, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And then it says, I have become its, the churches with the big C, servant. Here's the key. You will never have an eternal impact if it's all about you when God is calling you to make it all about others. Never going to happen. And many times we don't have the impact that we could and that God has called us to because we keep score. We ask ourselves, what's in it for me? Suffering and, and servanthood, friends, is part of the deal. In sports, they say no pain, no gain, right? With no suffering and an unwillingness to play the role of a servant, there is no impact in ministry. I was thinking about this this past week, and as I thought about what we do when we don't have the right attitude, I I, I thought about, you know, this idea that... um, that when we want to bail out because we're not appreciated, have you ever felt that? You've wanted to bail out because you haven't been appreciated? And you know, anytime I'm feeling this uh, feeling of, woe is me, I'm not getting back as much as I gave, or I'm not getting the recognition that I should get for what I, should, for what I gave, that should be a warning sign. You know, everybody likes uh, the idea of servant leadership until they're treated like a servant. It's true. So how does life really work in God's family? We don't keep score, and we need to be willing to give rather than get. Have you ever heard of these games, suicide chess or impasse? Suicide chess and impasse are really just chess and checkers in reverse. So the way you win is by losing all of your pieces. You win by losing. You know, when raising your children or uh, in your relationship with a significant other, you win by losing. Did you know that? Uh, getting ready for company later in the, in the afternoon, and your wife needs your help preparing? Well, you might have a win by helping her, but you'll lose the opportunity to play 18 holes of golf with your buddies. You have a friend who's going through a tough time? Uh, well, the win would be that you help him maybe at that moment and lose the opportunity to spend extra time studying for that exam. In God's family, you give of yourself, losing your time to help others, losing your energy to better someone else. You are inconvenienced so that you can experience true community that God intended for you to experience throughout the week rather than just showing up on Sunday. When we're serving others, we're not doing it for the approval or applause of others. We're doing it is unto the Lord, amen? Now, the second key to having the right attitude is not becoming angry when doing the right thing leads to suffering. It's so easy to say, I'll suffer for God. It's so easy to sing those songs that, where we're saying, I will do anything for you, God, will you? It's so easy to talk about us being a servant, but it's a lot harder to be one. 
Now, when I become angry at God because doing the right thing leads to suffering, or when I become inconvenienced, or when I bail out because I'm not appreciated, these are all part of a wrong attitude, and it makes it very hard for God to use you in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, life group, or even uh, in the entire church. Now, here's the second thing we need to understand about Paul's ministry. We not only need to have the right attitude, because if we don't, we will bail out and not finish the work. We need to have the right message. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 25, we notice that Paul says, I have become its servant by its, the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. This fullness was simply the simple message that God came down in the form of of a man, uh, offered salvation, adoption into his family, and change from the inside out, right? Uh, That's the simple message. But it's amazing how quickly we move away from that to other good things instead of the main thing. How many of you are familiar with this political phrase, stay on message? Uh, Let let me explain it a little bit. Uh, A lot of times this happens when there's a political campaign going on. The candidate has a message that he or she wants to get out, and, uh, you know, they want to say, I'm doing this, or I did this, or my opponent did this, and... And so every time they're asked a question, have you noticed they don't really answer the question? (laughs) What time is it? Oh, my opponent wants to raise taxes. They never answer the question, right? They stay on message because they want to avoid being sidetracked. They don't want to have to be sidetracked and say things that are unhelpful or hurtful for their campaign or for uh, their... uh, Yeah, for their campaign. And that same principle of staying on message is vital if we're going to have an eternal impact in the lives of others. Remembering what the, what the main thing is, right, is going to help us to have an impact on others. Helping somebody put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. Now, sometimes we can get really off track, can't we? Uh, as Christians, um, we can get really off cr- track. So let me show you some of the ways that we can get really off track. First, some Christians get into theological debates on social media. Any of you that do that? Let me ask you this. Does God give you a theology exam before he lets you into heaven? I'm glad he doesn't do that. No, God doesn't give us a theology exam. He gives us a blood test. Are you related to Jesus? That's the test. It's not that theology isn't important, and that's why we teach it here, and that's why I have my degree in it, but it's not primary, it's secondary. It's not the main thing. The main thing is helping people follow Jesus. Second thing is some Christians fight the culture wars. Paul didn't fight a culture war in Rome. Rome wasn't known for its high sexual morals, was it? Roman entertainment was not safe for kids. Uh, have you ever heard of the Colosseum? You know, I don't think public entertainment has gotten so bad in this country uh, that the main attraction is watching people get eaten. Rome wasn't known for a high view of life. Paul did not try to organize Christians to protest Roman culture. He preached the gospel, and the gospel transformed the culture. Third thing is some Christians water down what it means to truly follow Jesus. Some Christians water down the sacrifice, they water down the commitment, they water down how a person's life has to make a 180-degree turn away from where they're going. 
We might even find ourselves saying that all faith paths lead to God. That's not what we believe. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man, no woman comes to the Father except through him. That's what we believe. That's the message. So if we get it backwards, right? And if we get it backwards and get distracted, we don't really have an impact in the lives of others. We gotta stay on message because it's all about Jesus. It's about him changing lives from the inside out. And, it, and, and if it's not, it becomes about everything else. The third thing is we wanna have the right method. We wanna have the right methods. Colossians chapter one, verse 28 says, he is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Now, the right methods uh, are found in these words, admonish and teach, and each of us has a bias toward one or the other. Admonish is to warn someone, to point out what is wrong and what needs to be done. Teach is to instruct and help and encourage people along the way so that they know what they need to do. This has been so helpful, this point has been so helpful for me personally in ministry because what it tells me is that I not only have to have the guts to say the hard things, I also need to be uh, willing to be helpful when people dig themselves into a hole. I need to be willing to help them get out of the hole that they dug themselves into. Each of us has a particular bias one way or another. Some of us have a bias for happy talk. Uh, we don't want anyone upset or bothered. And so we, we're very encouraging and very positive, and we don't say anything uh, that's tough, and we just dance around it. That's, that's actually what the cultural bias is. You realize that? It's that tolerance. It, our culture wants to just affirm everyone and not tell anybody that they're wrong, and the highest value is that you're sincere. But if you're going to have an eternal impact, every now and then you're going to have to say the hard things. If you're a parent and believe that the, no matter what your kids do, that their heart is in the right place, you're going to have a hard time. You've got to call truth, truth. The flip side is that you don't want to always be pointing out what people are doing wrong, right? You don't want to be so angry that you just point out all the hard things and you never come alongside people to help them change the things that are a problem in their life. So as much as we need the right attitude, we need the right message, we also re need the right methods. Speaking the truth in love. We need to admonish and teach. We need to be full of grace and truth. The fourth thing is the right goal. The fourth uh, thing uh, we see here comes from chapter 1, verse 28. It says, he is the one who proclaim, we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And here it is, the right goal, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Maturity, presenting everyone fully mature in Christ, that's the goal. And how often do we forget that that's the goal? And the one big mistake that we can make is that we confuse a decision with a disciple. Sometimes we get so excited when we bring somebody to church and they pray the prayer to put their faith and trust in Jesus when Pastor Jeremy uh, prays at the end of his message that we forget that that's not the goal. The goal is to help them finish the race. The goal is to help them to become fully mature in Christ. Invite them to join a life group. Share life together. Start praying together. Help them develop uh, a regular time of getting in God's word. Start serving on the dream team. Involve them in the types of activities that are going to be catalytic for their new faith so that they can mature in their faith and become more like Jesus. We want them to get across the finish line. 
We want the, to help others just like you were helped in your spiritual journey. Now, the Tokyo Olympics just finished up. How many of you have watched the Olympics? Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, isn't it? Um, there are a lot of competitions, and one of the, the competitions in the Summer Olympics is, uh, are these races, right? And for the runners that run these races, the goal for them is to get across the finish line. It's not just that, that they started, right? They have to finish, and they have to finish in the quickest amount of time possible. Uh, one of the things that I saw recently as I was preparing this message is a video uh, of a race in the 2016 triathlon that was happening in Mexico. And it was really amazing. We can't show it to you, uh, can't show the video here, but so I'll just tell you about it. Really amazing because <clears throat> these two brothers were running this race and Jonathan Brownlee, they were Brit these brothers were British, Jonathan Brownlee is in the lead of this race as he's heading toward the finish line and um, one of the things that happens is that, you know, in these triathlons, they're physically grueling, right? And so he was starting to lose consciousness. And you could see him. He was like, you know, swaying. He was doing one of these as he was coming around. And you could see it in his eyes as well. Like, he was going to pass out any, any second. So <clears throat> he's passed by another runner. And then his, his brother, Alistair, comes up behind him and he sees him struggling. And what does he do? Um, he doesn't try to win the race and, and just leave his brother in the dust. What he does is he grabs him around the shoulders, lifts him up, uh, his brother leans his head on his shoulder, and he carries him to the finish line, and then he throws him across the finish line. <clears throat> Our goal should be that, type, be that type of runner, that type of brother to our spiritual brothers and sisters in the faith to help them finish the race by becoming fully mature in Christ. Now, there's this thing in, there's a, these verses in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 called the Great Commission. And it, God, and Jesus in, this, in these verses says to his disciples before he ascends back into heaven, he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then he stops, right? Is there more? There's more. And teaching them all the things that I have commanded you, they want, we want our brothers and sisters to be fully mature in Christ. It's not just praying a prayer or making decision, it's the whole deal. So we're making disciples, we're coming alongside other believers to help them run the race, we're, to pick them up when they fall, to have them lean their head on our shoulder so that they can finish the race well and grow spiritually. And now the fifth thing is the right power source. If you're gonna have a long-term eternal impact in a person's life, you have to have the right power source. Colossians chapter 1 verse 29 says, to this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The right power source is remembering that it's God, not me. It's God who gives the gifts, it's God who calls us into ministry, and it's God who determines the outcomes. What this means is that we do our best, and then we take a nap. Okay. I can't tell you how many Christians I've come across who believe that it all depends on them. When God is calling us to do the right thing, we need to trust him for the results. Proverbs 21:31 says, prepare the horse for battle, but victory or defeat is in the hands of the Lord. Have the right attitude, stay on message, accomplish his goals his way, right? Be ready to pay the price, and trust God for the outcome. If you do this, 
you will find that people around you will be eternally impacted. They will change, one person at a time. And when you feel like you don't have the energy, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you feel like you haven't memorized enough Bible verses, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when you don't feel like you can continue to be faithful to the Lord, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, through you, transforming you. Amen? Now, I want to remind you today that if you are following Jesus, uh, God wants to do great things in your life. Um, he wants to use your life. And how many of you out there want God to do even greater things in your life? How many of you want the Christ in you to make an even bigger difference in the lives of those around you, right? I want that for myself. I want that for you too. So let's ask the Lord now. Let's invite the Lord to give us his presence and his power so that we can have an eternal impact in the lives of the people that live and work and are all around us in our lives. And let's pray this in, in, in the name of Jesus today. God, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would give us this, this presence, more of your presence. Lord, we know that you come inside of us with your Holy Spirit, uh, but we also know that you, when asked, will you fill us even more with your presence and, 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 and give us more of your uh, power through the Holy Spirit. And so we're asking for that now, to be able to accomplish this ministry that you're calling us to. Maybe some of us don't know what ministry we have, and we need to discover that. Uh, maybe some of us are... Uh, involved in ministry. We want to have an even greater impact. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your greater power and presence of your spirit so that we can accomplish the ministry that you want us to do. Lord, we, we understand that, you know, we're not going to do it perfectly. We understand that you're here to help us, uh, but we know that we if, we, if we trust you, if we do the right things, that you will bring results. God, so we pray that you would bless our lives. We pray that we would have an even greater impact, eternal impact in the lives of those people around us. Help us remember this throughout the week as we continue to read through Colossians. Um, Lord, we, we want you to be glorified more and more in our lives. We want others in our lives to know you, to come to know you, and to follow you. And so, God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done in our lives and for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.